you know, show me someone who wants to ditch the Old Testament. I'll show you someone who just can't comprehend the, you know, biblical theology. It does nothing to undermine Christianity because Christianity began when Jesus rose from the dead and they recognized he was who he claimed to be. And this is a big... Okay, that is simply incoherent hooey. That is incoherent hooey. What he just said is patently false. This is the Marcionite heresy in the 21st century. And it, this is dangerous. This is blasphemous. Hello everyone, this is What's Your Pastor Didn't Tell You. Today I'm talking about Andy Stanley's view of unhitching the Old Testament. I'm going to talk about what it means, how it's commonly misunderstood, as well as some really, really good points he actually makes. What? Bro, what are you talking about, man? Make sure to stay until the end as I'll be giving one tip which will completely change your ability to understand God's Word, as well as live as a Christ follower. So what we're going to do first is we're going to actually watch the video that started it all, the one that caused so much controversy. Many have lost faith because of something about the Bible or in the Bible, the Old Testament in particular. Once they could no longer accept all the historicity of the Old Testament, once they couldn't go along with all the miracles, once somebody poked a hole in the Genesis creation you know, myth, once all that went away, suddenly their house of cards faith came tumbling down because they were taught it's all true, it's all God's word, and if you find one part that's not true, uh-oh, the whole thing comes tumbling down, not Christianity. The Bible did not create Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus created and launched Christianity. Your whole house of Old Testament cards can come tumbling down. The question is, did Jesus rise from the dead? And the eyewitnesses said he did. Peter, James, Paul elected to unhitch the Christian faith from their Jewish scriptures. And my friends, we must as well. And I'll tell you why. It's actually the same reason they did because we must not make it difficult for those Gentiles who are turning to God. They didn't, we shouldn't either. Now th this clip got a lot of hate, understandably so. I mean, this is, what do you, what do you think when you hear the, unhitch the Old Testament, you think get rid of it, you think of all the background, all the people, all the atheists that are saying, oh, this is terrible, like the Old Testament's got all these bad things, this is not even the God of the New Testament. You think of all the liberal scholars that are saying all the people in the Old Testament didn't exist. Naturally, and for good reason, some people really, really did not like this idea. So naturally, what's going to happen is you're going to have some people saying, Hey, Billy, did you hear what Andy Stanley said? I don't know, Roger, what happened? He said, unhitch the Old Testament. What? That's so stupid. We don't want to get rid of the Old Testament. What? Why, why would I even? Well, I guess I'm not going to watch the rest of it because he's so stupid. I'm not going to waste my time with that. Let's go watch someone that knows what they're talking about. Right, so you're going to have people that have just no interest into looking even further. Why look, why look further? Uh, it seems like a silly view. It seems like it's not going to be helpful at all. Why even listen to it? But hold up, wait a second. What does Andy Stanley mean? Like, in this clip, we barely even know why Andy Stanley actually doesn't like the Old Testament. Like, maybe we can guess, but what's the missing here? This next clip we're gonna watch is Andy Stanley debating Jeff Durbin on Justin Brierley's Unbelievable Show. This will give Andy Stanley a chance to explain his view. What do you okay. mean by unhitching um, the Christianity well, from the Old Testament? That was a term I used in a particular sermon in a particular series, I guess really almost actually, actually a year ago. Um, I had just done a 12-part series through the life of Jesus leading up to resurrection. 
And um, it was going well. So I thought, hey, I'll spend three weeks and just keep story going narrative wise through Acts. So I spent three weeks on Acts. So in the message in Acts 15, where I talked about the Jerusalem Council and this momentous decision to, and the word I used was unhitch Christianity from the Sinai covenant, from circumcision. And again, whatever, I mean, everybody knows something happened there that was of extraordinary significance for the church. I used the word unhitch. And then to tease my next series, which was called The Bible for Grownups, I I made the comment, um, hey, and perhaps those of us modern Christians, I forget the exact words, we need to consider, we need to unhitch our Christianity from the Old Testament as well, kind of paralleling that there was a momentous detachment from um, what it meant to be a Jesus follower for Gentiles, that perhaps we need to think through some of those things ourselves. It really was a tease. In fact, in the message, I said, and we will come back and talk about this more in the next few weeks. Well, and understandably so, people took that phrase and it sort of became <laughs> the banner under which I do all ministry. <laughs> and interestingly enough, in our churches, everyone was scratching their heads like, why is this such a big deal? Because I teach from the Old Testament all the time. In fact, that next series was a four-part series and two were from the book of Genesis. So in terms of my track record, nothing could be further from the truth that I don't teach from the Old Testament, don't believe the Old Testament, don't think the Old Testament points to Jesus. The documents documenting the resurrection aren't dependent on an inerrant scripture. They're just dependent on a historically reliable scripture. So when my kids were little, not little, when they were going into high school and college, I said to them, look, you know, when you get in a literature class or biology class and people bring up questions about the Old Testament or some of the what may be considered odd stories in the Bible. I said, don't get in a big spitting match with them about this. Here's here's your your answer. You know what? Yes, that's strange. Yes, that's odd. No, I can't explain that. But did you know Jesus believed that? And I just figure if somebody can predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off, I just go with whatever that person says. Now that's not a convincing argument. It's tethering our faith to the event of the resurrection that the course confirmed what Jesus taught, and it confirmed what Jesus taught about the law and the prophet. So what is he saying? He's saying, in the context of witnessing, when we're witnessing to unbelievers, we're going to worry about what is the gospel? What is Jesus? What should be our focus when witnessing? Is it the Old Testament where we have killing, we have the flood, we have God sending people to kill other people, we have slavery we have to worry about? All these things that, you know, atheists and non-Christians are really against. Should we worry about that? Or should we worry about why we are Christians, which is Christ. Christ rose from the dead. On the other hand, if you read Stanley's book, the second focus that Andy Stanley wants to unhitch is our understanding of the Old Testament in regards to the law, the old covenant that was given on Sinai by God to Moses and the nation of Israel. The challenging thing for most Christians is they don't make a distinction, and it's preacher's fault, a distinction between the Sinai covenant and the Old Testament. The Old Testament includes more than the Sinai covenant. God made a covenant with Israel. You can read it in Exodus, um, and we weren't there, and it wasn't a covenant with me, and it wasn't a covenant with you. We're we are blessed by God's covenant with Abraham through you know the nation of Israel, God would bring about Messiah, and we've all been blessed through him. So the differentiator to me is the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant being the Sinai Covenant, and the New Covenant established by Jesus. And 
we've been invited to be included in the new covenant thanks to God's providential work from the time of Abraham on. To, to what extent, in your view, Andy, does that make some of the Old Testament laws, like, for instance, the Ten Commandments, irrelevant? Yeah. Because you, you, you well, say, you well, say every, that... Here's the thing. Yeah. Everybody, agree, everybody agrees that we don't keep the the Sinai covenant in total. Everybody agrees with that. Most of it's illegal in the United States, the UK and Canada, or not most of it, but much of it. So then we're down to which, what do we leave in and what do we leave out? What do we leave in? What do we leave out? And that's where the disagreement is. And there's groups that believe we can have categories, the moral law, the ceremonial law, um, the civil law. And then there's others that say, no, it's just one. We can't, we don't get the privilege of slicing and dicing. This was God's covenant with the nation of Israel. And we're not Israel and we have a new covenant. So you find it almost strange that some people want to put up, you know, monuments to the Ten Commandments um, in the churches when when we've got the commandments of Jesus, which in your view have superseded that that old covenant in that way. Well, and we have the writings of the Apostle Paul who teases out and fleshes out what Jesus meant when he said, I'm to love you as as God through Christ loved me. I mean, it's just better. It's clearer. I mean, this sounds again, I don't want to go off topic. You can keep all the Ten Commandments and be a terrible husband, terrible friend, terrible employee, but you can't take 1 Corinthians 13 or the fruit of the Spirit and be a terrible friend, father, mother, husband, or wife. So the fruit of the Spirit, the manifestation of God's Spirit in us, is manifested through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, those attributes connected to what does it look like to love as God through Christ loved us are so compelling and they're so powerful. I just don't know why people would want to go back and say, I'm... You know, I I keep the Ten Commandments. Yeah, if you if you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to keep the Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments are like a safety net. That's kind of a how low can you go, like civil law is. the The fruit of the Spirit and loving as God through Christ has loved us. That is inspirational. It's it's. I mean, again, it, it raises the standard like Jesus did. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount. Andy wants to say, Hey, we're not under that law anymore. We don't live by those rules anymore. We don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to live under that covenant that was specifically with Israel, which is very true in some regards. We don't live by these really weird rules anymore. Nobody does, not even Jews. So, so those are the two things. Obviously, there's some objections. There's issues with those that we'll have to address. Some Old Testament scholars have mentioned saying that we should go ahead and explain the Old Testament because it's not that bad if we actually understand in its context. Andy Stanley, he says, let's take a step back. We're not going to worry about the Old Testament. This is witnessing, okay? After someone has a reason to become a Christian, after they, they realize that they, after they realize that Jesus rose from the dead, we can figure out exactly what is going on in the Old Testament. From the perspective of someone that doesn't believe in Christianity, when they see the Old Testament, the crazy stuff that goes on, it's like, huh, I have a lot of reason not to accept Christianity. That is a lot of reason why I think that maybe God is immoral or all this craziness is fake or it doesn't exist or isn't historical. But if a non-Christian is shown or told how we can know that Christ rose from the dead, then, just then, that greatly changes the, the entire conversation. It's, oh, well, I have reason to think that, you know, the Old Testament issues here, like, aren't even in comparison because if Jesus rose from the dead, you know, the rest of it is just like, it's not, it, do, it doesn't even mean anything in the long run. It's also worth mentioning that when we're talking about witnessing, it is a lot of times it's very quick. Like we don't have these opportunities to have these super long conversations 
we don't have time to, we don't have a whole bunch of time to argue about Old Testament law or any of that kind of stuff. So Andy Stanley's point is let's just focus on the gospel on why we believe that Christianity is true, why we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So that leads us to a kind of weird question because a lot of us are actually Christian because of the Old Testament, because of prophecy. And this is what Andy Stanley says to it. He says, The Apostle Paul, these are his words, by all possible means that I might win some. So if the Old Testament is an on-ramp, great. If the resurrection is an on-ramp, great. If my personal experience is an on-ramp, great. If brokenness and tragedy in a person's life is an on-ramp, great. If a sick child is an on-ramp, I mean, whatever the on-ramp is to faith, I'm all for it. And, and I, I think we would all three agree with that. And so for some people, the Old Testament is an on-ramp. And I'm not, not, I would, never, of course, never discount that. He says, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to become, for them to become a Christian, that is what we were focusing on. Lead them to Christ, then we can worry about other issues. So yes, he's willingly accepting, hey, you know, you can use, say, th if this is, this is why they should accept Christianity, then go for it. All right, so that's the first context. The first context is witnessing, let's get them to Jesus first. Second context, how we should live as Christians. He's saying that we should unhitch the Old Testament because, because we don't have to live by the Old Testament law anymore specifically the Old Testament law he's referring to. As we already talked about, he, he preaches on the Old Testament all the time. I teach from the Old Testament all the time. In fact, that next series was a four-part series, and two are from the book of Genesis. Okay, reminder, what is his view again? His argument is from Hebrews 8, which talks about the new covenant being obsolete. You heard me, obsolete. Hebrews 8, 7 says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, no one would have looked for a second one. But showing its fault, God says to them, and then the writer of Hebrews actually quotes Jeremiah when he says, Look, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will put a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not continue my covenant, and I had no regard for them, says the Lord. And this is where it says in verse 13, when he speaks of a new covenant, he makes the first obsolete. Now what is growing obsolete and aging is about to disappear. So this is the basics of Andy Stanley's view. The Old Covenant, the laws of the Old Testament are obsolete. Does that mean that the Old Testament laws, the Ten Commandments are of no use anymore? No. Okay, so how are they obsolete? The only law from the Ten Commandments that isn't recorded in the New Testament is following the Sabbath. If the Old Testament law is obsolete, then why are we still following Nine Commandments? Well, because they were re-given. We are following the New Covenant, not the Old Covenant, is what his view is. Now, now, this is actually extremely popular view in Christianity. This isn't something heretical. As we're going to see, Jeff Durbin explains why he doesn't take Andy Stanley's view. He, he takes a different view, which is, which in my opinion, is equally as credible. How did Jesus love them? Mm -hmm. He loved them according to God's law, which says, Master, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's quoting from Leviticus, by the way. Mm -hmm. And he says, all the law and the prophets are built upon these. So mm -hmm. if we're going to love like Jesus, then we're going to have a love for God and love for one another. And what's mm -hmm. that look like? Well, according to Jesus, all the law and the prophets are love God, love neighbor. The Ten Commandments, love God, love neighbor. Even down to the judicial, judicial law and animal husbandry laws have to do with love for neighbor. So I think we, 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 we have an, a problem when we disconnect that. And we say, well, Jesus teaches a really supreme and valuable way of love that's so different from that harsh Old Testament law. 
No, Jesus teaches us what the law was pointing to all along. This is how you love God and love neighbor. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight, even down to something that can see can be seen as so irrelevant to Christians today. When we read that animal husbandry laws, he says this, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say it the same? Then he quotes the law and he says, does he not see, certainly speak for our sake? It is written for our sake, not on human authority, on what? God's authority. And so I think that um, it's important to recognize that the, again, Ten Commandments are quoted with the assumption of continuity, but you're supposed to see it now in a spirit-filled new covenant way. And, says, and if somebody says, well, how are we supposed to know that? I would say, the New Testament gives you divine revelation on how you're supposed to view these things. Judicial, judicial law is assumed as continuous, the death penalty, festivals, all of that. And so uh, when, and this is the final thing I'll say, and that this is, uh, this is, I think, so critical. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is addressing the issue of the holiness code. Like, what are we supposed to keep? How come not the dietary laws, the holiness code? And the answer is so clear from the New Testament. It's all throughout. Those were dress rehearsals. Those were training wheels. Those don't apply anymore because now we have the substance who is Christ, and now we're filled with the Spirit of God. But what's interesting here is as Paul's addressing that very issue in Ephesians chapter 2 about the holiness code and all the rest, um, and, and throughout, he says in Ephesians 2.11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember, and this is critical here, guys, that you were at the same time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the, he says this, covenants, plural, of promise, singular, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Because what he says is that now you are once strangers to these covenants, plural, mm -hmm. of promise. Mm -hmm. You are strangers to the commonwealth of Israel, but now you've brought near to what? To the commonwealth of Israel, to the covenants, plural, of promise. If we've been brought near to the covenants of promise... And we've been brought near not just to the Abrahamic covenant, Andy, but to the blessings of what God gave to Moses, to the blessings of the Davidic covenant. In Christ, we've been brought near to the blessings of all those covenants. Including the land, right? And this is what I would say. Well, now the Bible teaches us by divine re revelation that that, I promise, is actually the whole world, not just the land. Old Testament scholar Carmen Joy Imes gives additional reasons to think that we are still under the Old Testament covenant. Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6. Moses goes up to the mountain and, and Yahweh calls to him from the mountain and says, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Such a beautiful image. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words Moses is to pass on to the people. And what follows is a chapter after chapter after chapter of laws. If we get this passage that I just read in chapter 19, if we can really grasp it, we'll see that the laws are not there for them to earn 
God's favor or earn their way to heaven or earn salvation. No, they've already been rescued. God's already brought them out of Egypt when he gives them the law. The laws are their mission. They are the means by which they will demonstrate his character to a watching world. When he calls them his treasured possession, he's not just thinking up something nice to say about them. This is not just a warm fuzzy. The, the Hebrew word segala, which is translated treasured possession, is a technical term for a treaty partner who is specially selected to be like an ambassador. The hmm. people of Israel are meant to represent God to the nations. And if, if we flip ahead to the New Testament in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Peter takes these same titles and he applies them to the church. A mixed church of Jews and Gentiles, he says, you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a people for God's treasured possession. He calls them a kingdom of priests. Same titles from Sinai, which tells me this covenant is still in effect. So while someone might read Hebrews 8 and think, oh, it's obviously obsolete. We don't have to worry about the Old Testament law anymore. So I might also read Jesus's words. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So there's obviously good points to take either view. My goal isn't to give you an answer to either one, but to give you a better understanding of how Andy Stanley, one, isn't as heretical as we thought, but to maybe encourage you to look into the subject further. Okay, so what is that one tip that will completely change your ability to understand the Bible? Listen. I know this might seem a little cliche, but we have to learn to listen. Yes, it might take a little bit more effort. Yes, it might take time. No, I do not think that we should pay attention to every single view out there. But what I will encourage you is to, if you really want to learn and understand the Bible better, you have to be willing to listen to people you disagree with. It might sound crazy. Why would you listen to people you disagree with? Why would you listen to people that are wrong? Okay, this might sound crazy, but we are not all perfect. Yes, a lot of our beliefs might be right. What are the chances among billions of people in the world that I am the one with all correct views. Extremely slow. I am very confident that I have wrong views. And that's okay. It is, it is okay to be wrong. And what listening does is it gives us the opportunity to learn what we could possibly be wrong about. If our goal is to be right, we're actually gonna end up being wrong about a lot of things. There are a lot of benefits to listening to people that might sound crazy. One, we understand them. We don't risk being confused about people like Andy Stanley and, and missing possibly good points about his arguments. Two, we have the ability to strengthen our view. Sure, we might be right, but we might not always have the nuance that is required to you know, really understand God's word. Three, it'll give us a better ability to talk to other people that, that take this view and possibly even show them, point them to truth. And I mean, I mean, really listen, like, Listen to understand, listen to learn, listen to find truth. Know that it does not mean that we listen to every single thing out there. We have a limited finite amount of time, but your life will completely change if you are able to learn more. The only way to learn more is if you listen. How is this gonna make my relationship with God better? How, how is this gonna make me a better Christ follower? How will this help me with my witnessing? One, people today they do not want to listen to you if you're unwilling to listen to them. Some people, all they want is listened to. Some people don't ever get listened to. Some people just want to be heard. When we listen, we open up the ability to learn as well as be a great example for others. Okay, that's it guys, I appreciate you watching. Let me know your thoughts in the comments. 
Do you agree with Andy Stanley's view of unhitching the Old Testament, whether it be when evangelizing our lives, whether we're living by the Old Testament law, the Old Testament covenant, the covenant with Israel? Which one is the right one? I'd love to know your thoughts in the comments. As always, make sure to like and subscribe as I'll be interviewing scholars, talking about other topics about the Bible, how to live as Christians, the Genesis topic. But anyways, thanks guys. Thank you.